for your company and thanks for listening. I'm Deanna. For more in the Hide of Hearts series, for articles and other cool stuff, you can find us online. For the last three decades, recording artist, songwriter and producer Martin Smith has been penning songs beloved by believers the world over. And while the songs have impacted generations, Martin continues to inspire and influence musicians, worship leaders, artists and worshippers alike. He's back with a new studio-recorded album, Iron Lung, which he says is his best to date, but during the process was surprised by loss. He writes about his experiences, both recent and from his early years, on what is his most personal record to date. I've been speaking with Martin to discover more about creating this new project, the importance of a supportive community, and how this now world-renowned artist came to faith. My parents... Um, are church people and uh, really faithful people love God so I was brought up in that environment uh, of course went to church as a little kid and uh, but I remember really specifically a moment I think I was about eight years old believe it or not when I really had a sense that God you know himself was calling me to give my life to him and to serving him and uh, so I, say, I, I guess in a sense that prayer that my parents prayed, that was the moment for me where I was like, yeah, I, I, this is what I do want. Um, I, wa- I want to give my life to serving God. Yeah, it sounds young, but um, I've never looked back from that moment since really. Well, tell me a little about the story behind the title of the record Iron Lung, because it does have quite a, a personal meaning to you. Yes, the the title Iron Lung really refers to um, like an artificial breathing device. And sometimes when you go into hospital and you've got respiratory problems or breathing stuff, they can put you in one of these devices and it helps your lungs breathe. Well, anyway, when I was six months old, um, I was rushed into hospital because uh, apparently I wasn't breathing that well. Um, I I looked like I was going to die. My parents rushed me into hospital. They put me in one of these devices. And uh, I was there for a couple of weeks. The story is that my mum tells me is that they stood beside this device, oxygen tent, and they prayed this really audacious prayer. And that was, God, if you would let our son make a noise again, we'll give him back to you. Now, that's quite a crazy uh, prayer, quite amazing to imagine it, really. But they prayed this prayer, and then a couple of of weeks later, I started making a noise. And uh, they always laugh that I haven't stopped making a noise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it. There's some irony that, of course, you've now gone on to um, write songs for the church, lead worship, and really make quite a a loud noise, as it were, in the spiritual sense. Um, I mean, some of your last projects, of course, Love Song for a City, you're looking at making a loud shout for the community to hear. Why is a Christian presence in the community in a broader sense so important to you and and how do you look to convey that message so that other believers might understand well you you're always wanting to write music that touches people primarily you know you you it's so easy to second guess yourself and think okay well if i write this this is what's really gonna hit the mark if i write that then people are gonna sing that on a sunday but you know, over the years, I've really learned the hard way that you, you've always got to write from your gut. 
and and you've got to let out of you what is genuine and authentic. I think our audiences are smarter than we think, and they can really sense when they know it's you, and when they know you're trying to be another character. So yeah, I I've always um, been a strong believer in that, even to the detriment of knowing that sometimes it's not commercial or. Uh, but this is where I'm at and, and I'm on a journey and uh, I, I'm going to make music for a long time. So overall, hopefully we'll get there. I have many conversations with particularly younger artists who perhaps have signed to a label for the first time and they go through this process of writing specifically for radio airplay or writing specifically for a purpose rather than writing from your gut, as you say, they perhaps don't feel encouraged to do so. Have you ever had experiences, maybe even in your earlier career, where you've tried to fulfil a quota, as it were, and it didn't really work? Like, um, what's made you so... What's made you more confident to write from your gut? Yeah, I think this is a really contentious issue about songwriters writing, uh, you know, for, for other projects or writing, uh, you, know, you, know, you know, if there's a, uh, someone's wanting a particular song for an occasion. You know, at the end of the day, um, you, you know, if I was a carpenter and, you know, my heart would be in making a little rocking horse for one of my kids, you know, and I put my heart and soul into that and it will probably stay in the family forever and ever and years to come. But it doesn't also stop me from making a kitchen table for someone down the road that I, I really have nothing to do with. So, you know, you're, you're using your trade and your gift to do various different things so I don't really have a problem with um, people doing you know you can write for radio you can write a pop song you can co-write with mainstream guys you can write church songs but I think overall though you have to have a level of authenticity about who you are and what you stand for and I think that usually comes through everything you do Well, the new album, Iron Lung, um, is the first studio-recorded solo album that you've done in a while. Of course, you brought us the live album, Love Song for a City, last year. Some people might be asking, why so long between albums, or why did you feel this was the right time? That's a really good question. Um, I think that, yes, you're right, this is the first proper studio record I've made, really, since... The delirious days, really. I think the back to the start, God's great dance floor stuff, you could see someone transitioning. You could see, uh, now looking back, I can see me sort of finding my feet, finding out who I was again. So I don't think that music was ever really fully formed, in my opinion. There were some, some really nice songs in there, Waiting Here For You, Solomon, God's Great Dance Floor, of course. Uh, but... But I think now, with this new record, it feels like a more complete version of who I am and who I've become and what I want to say. And the team that came around it were all world-class, and, and I think it's helped, it, it helped really solidify what I wanted to do. And so I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. Mm. Well, tell me as well about the recording process of Iron Lung, because you decided to go with more of a one-take approach rather than layer on all the different instruments. You've done it once as a collective, if I'm not mistaken. So tell me more about your time in the studio and the process behind um, putting it all together. 
Yeah, sure. The recording process was was so uh, enjoyable. I've never had such an enjoyable time in the studio. Uh, partly that's down to the producer, Gabriel Wilson. Uh, I've known Gabe many, many years. He was in a band called Rock and Roll Worship Circus years ago, and they supported Delirious on a, a tour. I don't even know what year it was, but it was many, many years ago. And, uh, you know, we loved those guys. Lost contact with Gabe. And then someone recommended him to me, and I was just like, straight away, I knew, I knew it was the right thing. We went to his studio in Portland, Oregon, and we walked in, and just immediately we just knew this was the right place. We didn't intend to do sort of live takes of stuff, although my, my guys in the band are so brilliant. But we were just playing great, and I was singing good, and we'd get to the end of a take, and we're like, "Well, I think we're done." And uh, like, you know, you know for, for for example, the the lead track "Iron Lung" is completely live, apart from a bit of percussion, and we overdub strings on there. But that that is it. As you hear it, it was was off the floor in the studio. <laughs> How is that different to experiences you might have had in the past with studio recorded albums? Well, normally we'd take the drums and we'd make sure they're all in time and we'd, you know, you, we have this thing where you say you put them on the grid and you make sure it's perfect and then you redo the bass and then you redo the guitars and in inverted commas you make it perfect. But I think that the, the more I've done this, I've realised that music was never meant to be perfect. I mean, certainly my life is not perfect, so the music I make shouldn't be. So... It's um, full of tension and chaos, and I like that you can hear it moving a little bit, and um, it, it's just exactly where I'm at right now. Let me take you back to your early years, um, but right at the beginning of Cutting Edge and Delirious, what really stands out to you about this time that you remember? The great thing about Cutting Edge is that there was no big plan. It was very organic. It was basically the youth group in the church that I was a part of. And we started meeting every month in a small school drama theatre. I mean, it was like 70 people you could squeeze in. And it was amazing. It was you know, very, very simple. We're going to worship with the lights turned down so no one's going to be embarrassed. We're going to tell people about the story of Jesus and his salvation and then we're going to pray for anyone that wants to be prayed for. Very simple, no big sort of LED screens anywhere. It was pretty, you know, naff looking back, the sort of production side of it. it. Must have sounded horrible. I sang out a tune every song. Didn't know what to say between songs. It was a, it was a disaster. But um, but God was there, and and that's what I remember about it. It was ex- really powerful nights. And that grew and grew um, to the point where we'd have over a 1,000 kids every month. And a lot of those early songs just naturally came out of that season. Um, And also, sadly, your mother-in-law did pass away during the recording of the new album, Mm. Ayalung. But I understand that she was a really early supporter of Delirious and your career. Um, So... Let's talk a little bit about support because everyone needs a support network. But I feel like in this day and age, 
we might talk a lot about personal ambition or drive and that's Mm. the be all end all to being successful or to getting where you need to go Mm. but actually what would be your thoughts on support having a support network how important has that been to your success well it's everything i mean you cannot do this in isolation you need support and a team in so many different areas you know there's no way that i could do what i do without the support of anna my wife and and the kids being on board and being having a sense about our life that they're involved in that as well this isn't just that dad's going away uh, to to do a job but this is we're all in this together so that's the first thing and that's paramount then you have your your wider family that support you your parents and um brothers and sisters which is always fantastic and then you need like a structure of music business people like a record label and 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 in my sense of you know I've got the integrity guys and they are the team that help take the music that is in your heart and actually physically will get it before people so yeah it's it's so important that you get that right and have the right people around you because you're making a million decisions every week and you've got to know that you can trust people and you've got to know your instinct as well. So what does having the right people around you look like? How do we know if we're building a positive network and is there a danger to not having one? Well, you've got to, you've got to find people that um, walk with you through the good stuff and the bad stuff uh, that will resonate with what's in your heart, that, that there's a sort of an agreement on the vision about what you want to do. And then it's just like anything else, it's just hard work. Like, how are we going to do this? Um, how are we going to pay for it? And how are we, you know, what's the timings of everything? You know, not everything that I write comes out straight away. Some songs I keep back for the future or give them to other people. And so there's all these decisions you're making as you're going along as you're growing up and as you're learning out who you are yourself so nothing's perfect and um, you know a lot of things you get wrong but that's where the team thing is fantastic because you're sort of carrying it together well you mentioned earlier that this record is probably your most personal or certainly has been very personal um, not just with the story of your upbringing and how that's lent to um the title of the record but also the passing of of your mother-in-law during the process and it must be very difficult at any at any period to experience a loss um did this this great loss for your family did this impact your your art when it comes to creating this record and if so how how do you bring that kind of experience to the table yeah it was it was a major a major thing for us as a family with Anna's mother passing away. Um, she was the matriarch of the whole family. Um, she, you know, was not only my mother-in-law, but a few, you know, the members of Delirious, you know, Stu and Tim, you know, it was, it was their mum-in-law as well. And, of course, John, the bass player in Delirious, it was his mum. So very connected. She was a force to be reckoned with. And, uh, you know, she brought joy into every situation so we I got back with my guys from America after cutting all the tracks in Portland 
And pretty soon after that, um, she passed away. And so I remember having a conversation with Gabe about, look, should we just postpone this whole thing? Because you sort of do go into shutdown, you're in shock. And obviously my first priority was to look after Anna and the kids. You know, I was like, how do you do this together? How do you do this as a family? So, but we, we actually decided, look, let's get Gabe over and I'll do sort of office hours in the studio. I'll go down, drop the kids at school, go down, sing for a bit, come back up, have a bit of lunch, do a bit more, but then be around to pick the kids up and then we could be together in the evening. And that's what we did. And I I remember it being sort of happy and sad. You know, on, on one hand, you're incredibly sad that that you've lost someone very dear to you but then also the joy of making music um, and having her right in the middle of it every vocal I was doing I'd be thinking about the situation thinking about my own family thinking about the value of life and how precious it is so I think you can hear like that there's a lot of blood sweat and tears in those vocals well, again, speaking of family, because it does sound like family is very important to you in your life, I had a conversation for this series not that long ago with Ellie Limebear, who, yeah. as it turns out, you are related to, your oldest daughter. Um, do you feel that with everything that you've done, I guess a better question would be, with everything that you and your whole family have done in ministry and in music, there's always an element of sacrifice. So um, would you say that your family has sacrificed in order for you to do what you do, not in a lacking way, but in a making decisions that honour God kind of way? How do we deal with that kind of thing in our lives? Because, of course, when God asks things of us, often it does come with sacrifice. It doesn't just affect you, but your whole family. Look, I mean, with anything good that happens, there's always sacrifice. I mean, it's impossible to separate the two. And you'd be foolish to say oh yeah you know just because it's the calling of God and nothing happens to me emotionally and my family there's no cost because he's carrying us that's ludicrous really um, because there just is a cost and but the the thing is working out how much uh, you want to pay the price for that and in what areas so you know there are some non-negotiables you know um, I still want to be friends with my children when I'm older. And so at all costs, I want to protect those relationships. I still want to be married. So at all costs, you're trying to make decisions that protect those things that are really dear to you. And of course, we have a level of cost, but it's up to you how, how you manage that. And I suppose for me, I've had to make the choice of of because of that, I maybe can't be on the road in America for nine months of the year, going round that circuit, uh, which is very lucrative. You know, so I've had to make decisions based on well, what do I want to protect? Um, how do I do that? And how do I bring balance so that I'm still out there doing what I feel I should be doing, but not selling my soul to something so much that I abandon the things that I really love. And then I grow up an old, miserable guy, you know, with no friends. Uh, I might have a gold disc, but I might not have any friends. Now, that isn't wrong for for my friends that do that because they have uh, 
other ways of making that work for them. So that's not a reflection on them at all. That's just for where I'm at. And um, you, you have to make your choices in life. Well, in the industry that you are a part of, things like gold discs and Grammys are incredibly important, as nowadays are things like social media followers. So even with all that you've done with Delirious and as a solo artist and all the albums sold and all the churches singing, the songs that you've written and all the good that you've put into the world, do you still battle with that of comparison? And if so, um, how do you protect yourself even against things like social media, it's almost like a necessity to be involved. But how do you manage all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think, again, I'll be foolish to say that those things don't affect me. Um, you know, I'm going to be 49 years old this summer. and But feeling like I've made the best record I've ever made. But also knowing that your influence and your platform... Uh, can diminish as you get older. Um, I think that's just a natural thing, especially in the music industry. Um, and so, and, and it, also because of the path I've taken, which is, you know, making sure I'm sort of rooted somewhere locally, um, in a good church, making sure I'm around for the kids, making sure, you know, I can be the best husband I can possibly be. That means that I can't always be out working it. And again, so you have to make your choices. But but I think that, I mean, it would have been fascinating to know had Instagram been around during the delirious days, um, what sort of platform it would have had. And um, But uh, for me, you know, we didn't originate, I didn't originate in that era, so... Uh, you know, you do the best you can. and But I don't wake up thinking, oh, I'm going to Instagram what I'm having for breakfast. You know, I'm waking up thinking about other things. So, but uh, I do really appreciate now even seeing my own daughter, Ellie, uh, you know, forging ahead her own career, how the craft of, it's not just the craft of making music that seems really important, but it's the craft of, the social media stuff, the presentation, how you interact with your audience every day or 10 times a day. There's a real craft in that and how um, they're learning that really fast. And for someone like me, I, I, it, do, it doesn't float my boat, you know. So uh, for me, getting in front of people live, uh, you know, in a gig situation is what I live for. You are right, though. There is so much more now. It's not just creating a great tune. It's also having music almost um, regularly going out, and it is just like a constant influx of art and of content that's going up online. Um, your daughter is doing wonderful things, forging ahead with her own career, and I think when some people, where some people might be threatened by youth, you've always been very supportive of younger generations and next gen, whether it's family or new artists. Um, so what do you see perhaps in this new generation that there was less of 10 or 20 years ago? Or, you know, what do you notice? Huh, that's a really good question. Well, I think for me, because I, I came out of something that was a movement, you know, it was a move of God in our generation. And we wrote songs like History Maker and Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble, which reflected that movement of, look, 
the earth is shaking here you know we 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 can feel the army of god rising up and history maker was all about look the aim here isn't just to become like a pastor of a church or a worship leader or get a job in you know the the aim here is for you to become fully alive in what who you are so if you're an architect or a film director or um the headmaster of a school or whatever it is that you are then you should go and make history in that area and that was a very strong message that i would bring from the stage and what's beautiful about that is that now i'm meeting people 20 years later that would say yeah i was in one of those uh, nights and you spoke and i didn't really fit in anywhere but you know i was making all these weird videos and now this is what i'm doing i'm working for the bbc and i'm making all these feature films and you gave me the confidence to believe that i could be a history maker with what i had in my hands so i i absolutely love that um so yes i came out of something that was organic was a movement now um if you don't have that it's different um you know you're going on the strength of your songs and on your music and hoping you can get in front of people and really make a difference like that and um so it's it's different one is not better than the other necessarily um but i but i i see that um that can be different now songs like do you hear the mountains tremble and history maker and these songs have been sung so far and so wide all around the world are still incredibly popular history maker comes on in a church setting or a youth conference and cheers go up um it's they're often heard on the radio there aren't that many people who can say that they've written songs inspired by movement as you pointed out um inspired to write but there aren't that many people that can put their name to or their hard work to something that has almost outlasted them it's outlasted delirious in a way and had such a huge impact what does it feel like to be a part of such a wider and bigger movement as the result of the work that you've done well it's it's very humbling isn't it and very what an honor to be part of you know what god is doing on the earth 